Thanks for listening to the weekly Overflow Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Jesse Cup. For more information, visit overflowindy.com or visit us on Facebook at Overflow Indy. Before I get into my message, I want to take a moment and um, just bring our attention to the Father. So if you guys are able to stand with me, let's just take a moment. I just want to just want to pray and and just get us in tune with him. Thank you, Lord, Father God. We love you. We thank you for being a good a good God and a good daddy to us. And I I pray right now, Lord, that you'll just fill us with the Holy Spirit. I pray that you will surround us with your presence. I ask you, Lord God, to reveal your love to us, and, and that um, even as I'm about to share the things that you put on my heart, Lord, that, that we will um, that we'll capture your heart in this. Lord, I pray that, um, <clears throat> I pray that, that people are not going to hear f- flesh speaking up here, Lord, but to hear your heart. Help us to see through the lens of truth, of kingdom truth, Lord. And I, I pray that you'll fill this room, Lord God, with your presence. Let your angels come and minister. And whatever you, whatever you need to do with what's going to be said, Lord, that you will open ears to hear, Lord, open eyes to see. Open minds to perceive from a place of truth, Lord, and I ask you just to draw us into your kingdom all the more. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys can be seated. I found myself um, struggling this weekend because, uh, well, I, I've, been, I've been doing a series with you guys that's... Um, I, I think is a is pretty profound topic. Um, not saying I'm profound, <laughs> right? But it's about the Father, right? He's profound. And so it's been an amazing journey just to, just to be really focusing on the Father part of the Trinity and, and uh, just getting close to Him and getting free. How many of you guys feel like the Lord has been freeing you and just bringing you closer to His heart in, the, in this season that we're in? Amen? That's awesome. And so I, I had, a, had a message I wanted to share today, but I'm going to be completely honest with you. Um, probably as has with many pastors in America, um, a, a wrench got thrown in our gears over the weekend in a very good way. And uh, so I, I, I was struggling inside for, for about a day and a half because I wasn't sure what to do, but I, I just felt like uh, it, it just feels prudent to me. It feels wise as a as a shepherd of God's people um, to speak on the current matters. Um, and so my goal today is to is to try to bring a, a kingdom of God lens, a kingdom of God perspective on the things that that are happening right now. 
I, I do want to just say this in advance to any parents who, if you have any, any young children in here or are watching online and you have young children in your presence, um, some of the subject matter that I'm going to talk on might get a little sensitive for, for young ones, um, but that doesn't mean that this isn't super important. So I, I don't know, like Jessica's not feeling well and she's at home with the kids. I don't know if she's going to have our kids in the room for this or not. But there will come a time when they're going to need to know this stuff really good. Amen? Um, but the, the topical content that I'm going to touch on does need to be addressed. I want to ask that people would listen to the very end because there's multi-facets and angles on this stuff. And if you don't listen to the whole, you might miss something important and not capture the actual heart that this is being brought to you from. So just want to ask for that. I rarely talk about political issues in church, um, but if I do, the odds are extremely high that, that it's not actually a political issue, but a, a kingdom issue, a moral issue, amen? And a lot of things that people qualify as political, well, maybe it touches that realm, it does, but, but the, the spirit behind it is way more eternal, impacting than just politics in this day and age, amen? So Friday changed my plan, um, but I, I wanna, there's, there's two things that I was feeling. Some of you may, if you, if you don't ever listen to the news, you're like, what are you talking about? But the rest of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, there, there's two, two things that I realized was sobering to me um, from Friday, and, and I'm gonna tell you what they are, but one is, is it, it needs to be, there needs to be some incredible celebration. The other is the realization that the spiritual war, warfare is, being, is going to be amplified now, okay? So before I even move on, we have to take a moment to give God glory. And, you, you know, if, if your heart agrees with me on this, let's give him the best praise that we possibly can in a second. Because I need to say what it is because I just want the declaration to come out of the mouth, okay? The, the Friday, the Supreme Court ruled that Roe versus Wade is overturned. Hallelujah! <laughs> Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus! Hallelujah! Yeah, stand and give him praise. Hallelujah! Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Such a huge, huge, momentous day. Hallelujah. Yeah. I, I was driving and I was listening to it as, as the report was coming out. And I mean, I, it just, I, I, I realized that like I need to make sure that we don't underestimate the extremity, the massiveness of this victory and heaven rejoicing over the earth right now. Hallelujah. Wow. That's amazing. The, 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 on the federal level, <laughs> it is no longer, it's no longer supported at the federal level for abortions. Hallelujah. That's amazing. Thank you, Jesus. 
I, I, don't know, I don't know all the details of the laws and stuff, but right now I just want to look at the kingdom of God and, and how he's trying to manifest his kingdom right here in America. Hallelujah. We also don't want to be naive to the fact that there's, there's spiritual warfare that comes with this. As many have said, the, the, the battle is not over. It actually has just begun. Okay, so there's going to be more, more needs ahead of us and we, that we need to press into. But we just want to make sure that we don't miss an opportunity to give God all the praise and glory that's due this. Amen? Yeah. I've had some people say, don't get too excited yet. It, it's not like abortion has become completely outlawed. Okay, that's, that's true, but why would you not want to give God glory for a massive breakthrough in the right direction? Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. It's huge. I, I've never given a full message on the, on the abortion topic, but I have to talk about the kingdom of God in, in, in just these, these situations, okay? So it, it occurred to me that, that it is, it's been 49 years since Roe versus Wade was, whatever they call that, legislated, whatever, whatever they, the, what do you say? Yeah, you're getting ahead of me, man. 49 years since that happened. And, and, and in the Bible, God decreed that there would be jubilee on the 50th year, which is after 49 years is complete, that the 50th year would be the year of jubilee. Come on. And, and how prophetic is that, that this happened on the 49th year of that ruling? I don't think that's insignificant. I think God would have loved for it to happen after one year or maybe one month of when it got ruled. But hey, 49th year, we're going to have Jubilee. Amen? Amen? So Jubilee is, is meant to be a year of celebration. It's meant to be a year of redemption. It's meant to be a year of slaves and prisoners being set free. Hallelujah. Come on. It's a, it's a year for debts to be forgiven and for the land to become cleansed, which is what we need. Amen. A cleansing of our land. I, I wrote on Facebook on Friday regarding the Jubilee. Friday's rulings has an incredibly deep meaning to God for our land. Imagine the release of oppression God is bringing into our land. All those babies. May he cleanse our land and break the demonic principalities that have, made, that have had covenants made with them. It's time for a new wave of revival. Come on. And, and I want to I do what I can to, help pull, to keep us pulled out of a political spirit and to function from the spirit of the kingdom of God. Amen? We, if, the, if politics get intertwined, so be it. But we're not coming from a politics standpoint. We're coming from the kingdom of God and His holy, eternal word. Amen? Amen. All right. I want to I read to you guys a few verses out of... Uh, well, there's going to be a few places I'm hopping, but Psalms 139. Because my goal today is to try to um, just bring us... Just recenter us again. This probably won't be anything new for most people, but just to recalibrate our focus so that we can be present in the moment. Amen. <clears throat> Psalms 139 is a powerful chapter, uh, just about our identity and our intimate relationship with the Father. I love it so much. But I'm going to read verses 13 through 20. For you have formed my inward parts, you covered me 
in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That means that God was very strategic and extremely careful in how he created you. He made you exactly how he wanted you to be, down to the DNA, down to the soul, down to the spirit, down to the body, down to the personality. Amen? Come on. I will praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. Why don't you guys just declare this with me? God, you made me fearfully and wonderfully. You are very careful. You are very intricate. You designed me exactly who you want me to be. From before the day I was born. Your works are marvelous. And I'm your work. I'm marvelous to you. I'm marvelous to me. Come on. And that my soul knows very well. If your soul doesn't know that very well, you need to find out who God thinks you are and love yourself very well. Amen? Let me keep reading. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Come on. So God created your identity, and he crafted your destiny. Okay? He, he, before you were born, he already created and wrote into his book of eternity how your life is supposed to play out in the, under the blessing of the Lord and his kingdom. Come on. Destiny. And let me tell you that the, any hardships that people face is not part of your destiny. Okay? The, the, the hardships just happen because we're in a fallen world, but the destiny is what should be able to get us through to the other side so we can fulfill all the dreams God has for this earth that you are the answer of his dreams for. Amen? How precious also are your thoughts to me, oh God. Wait a minute. You mean your thoughts aren't like angry and disappointed? No, how precious are your thoughts towards me, O oh God. How great is the sum of them. I want you guys to declare this. When God thinks about me, He thinks a lot about me. More than I'll ever know is He thinking about me. And His thoughts are precious towards me. That's a good word. If I should count them, they should be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Hallelujah. You see how much God loves his kids? Even from the point of conception, he loves them. He loved you when you were conceived and crafted in the womb. He loved you even before you were conceived, before you even became part of the womb. Amen? Hallelujah. He's good. Got to throw in verse 19 and 22 because it's there. <laughs> Don't want to skip word. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. 
Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Now I want to stop right there. Because when Jesus came on this earth and he died on the cross, he shifted who we need to blame as our enemy. And it's not the people who are still in the shackles of sin. It's Satan and his kingdom. Amen? So instead of targeting the judgment to people, we're going to look behind the people and we're going to see the ones who have deceived them. And we're going to call this judgment down, not on people, but on Satan and his kingdom. Amen? Amen. All right. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Whoa, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. You mean it wasn't at 16 weeks that I knew you? or 20 weeks that I knew you, or up to the day that I was born. I, no, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Come on. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. All right? So God knew Jeremiah just as he knows you as well before you were formed in the womb, and he already put an assignment on his life. He already had crafted the days written in the books of eternal history, the destiny that was written for his life. Come on. And Jeremiah is an example. He was an amazing, mighty man of God, but yet an example of how God, he already creates destinies for people before they're born. Come on. Moms and dads, we are stewards of our kids' destinies. Come on. It's the truth. So God has crafted all of our identities and our destinies. We've got to focus on, on destiny. We've we got to understand, like, well, like, why is this stuff so evil? There's multiple levels. But I want to talk about the level of destiny right now. Okay? Because life is God-given. It's God-given. Anybody who has a baby, even, even if it's out of wedlock, you can't change the fact that, it, that God is the one who creates life and nobody else can. Amen? He has divine plans for every single life. David, it, it's believed based on some of the things that he wrote in the Bible, it's believed that David was actually born out of adultery. I don't know for sure, but it seems that way. And he was one of the greatest leaders of history on this earth. Like, why, why would God want to take away the destiny of a child because he was born in, from sin when the Lord actually wanted to use him to bring deliverance to a nation from the evil nations that were trying to corrupt God's people and in location. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. We do not have the right to end any work of God. Okay? If God has a plan... We don't have the right to intervene and to try to bring an end to his plan. And, and we don't have the right to end his plan in our own lives. But at least in your own life, the only person you're affecting is you. 
and, and you are the person who has control over you. All right? But it's even worse if we try to bring an end to God's plan to somebody else's life because we make them a victim of our own wishes. All right? So that's when it becomes violation on somebody else's life. They're great leaders and wonderful people that this world needs this very day that never had the chance to fulfill their destiny. In other words, we are lacking in this earth right now many, many people with great destinies because of abortion. Okay? Over 63 million babies have been murdered since Roe versus Wade. 63 million in America. It's a lot. My friend Lester Summerall, not the old guy that passed away 20 years ago, his grandson, is a, he's a friend of mine, and I saw him write this on Facebook. <clears throat> he said, I don't think we actually realize the magnitude of this. That's, he's talking about that 63 million, right? It just becomes a number that we become numb to. Years ago, in 2012, I did some research and discovered another perspective. Since January 22nd, 1973, when Roe v. Wade became the law of the land, over 60 million babies had been aborted. In order to get, get the same amount of lives lost, in other words, to, to, to get an idea of how to compare the amount of lives that were lost in abortion, you have to take the 39 out of 50, right? The 39 least populated states. Imagine every man, every woman, every child in these 39 states murdered. Just think about that. The 39 least populated states, there's only 11 left of those states, every single person being murdered, okay? In every house, in every mall, in every school, in every park, etc. After all that, and there would still be 15,000 plus more lives that needed to be ended to equal those lost to abortion. That's pretty wild, huh? God have mercy. Thank God this death decree has been lifted over our nation. Hallelujah. Those pretty, pretty crazy stats, huh? I think we need to say, I think we need to give God a praise one more time real quick. Hallelujah, Jesus, for putting an end to that at the federal level. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. And, and to, bring, to bring kingdom perspective on this, I, I just want to remind us that the, our, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. So we, we can be angry at the people who try to vote and trying to, trying to press their agendas and all that stuff. But, but really, we need, to, we need to take a higher level perspective on this. Okay? Because it's not, it's not initiated by human. Okay? Satan is the thief, and the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And he's the initiator of all the evil in this world. But Jesus came to give life, and life more abundantly. Amen. Hallelujah. We need to understand that, that this is actually a matter of spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. Satan hates 
God's plans. He hates God's destinies that he wrote into the lives of each person. He hates it. He hates it because God's plans are always unto victory. They're always unto great things of heaven becoming established in people's lives. I would say that most people on this earth are probably not actually living in their destinies. They're probably living either for survival or for themselves. Okay? But if everybody shifted their lives in submission and yieldedness to God's plans for them, destinies would unfold and we'd see the kingdom of God come like we've never seen it before. And Satan is so scared of that, he'll do anything he can to stop people from living in their destinies. He, he will do anything he can. And we, that's why we're going after identity so much lately. Because we, we want to get free from all the fears and the self-inhibitations and the lies that we believe that the enemy tries to use to shackle us and hold us back from our potentials in God. So Satan will use anything. He tries to use religion. He tries to use lies. He tries to use uh, self-limitations. But he'll go as far as he can with this stuff. He'll go, fo- he'll go so far, he doesn't, he doesn't have an ounce of love for any single person in this whole world. He is filled with hate and evil. And he will kill and destroy, and he loves to watch people suffer. He loves to see people live miserable lives that are aimless and purposeless. He loves it. But Jesus came to set the captives free. Amen? Satan will go as far as he can, and he he loves when there can be infanticide, the 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 mass killing of, of babies. He loves it. He loves it. When, when 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 Israel was captive in Egypt, God had plans for them, that, and, the, and the devil knows. He knew, he knew what the plans was that God had for Israel. And he knew that God was going to raise up deliverer. And so what did he do? He tried to get them, to the, the Pharaoh initiated the, the law for them to go and kill every child, I th- every male child, I think it was maybe under the age of two. All of them. Killed. That's crazy. Thank God Moses was spared by a miracle. Amen? Because God raised up the man of destiny, the man who was going to bring salvation to the people that were under bondage to demon lords. Okay? You guys get in that picture there? There was, there was demon gods that are mentioned in the Bible. There's one that's called Melech. The, the pagan religions worshipped Melech, and, the, and they, would actually, um, they would actually give their babies to Melech, and, and they would feed it into the statue, and they would burn to death in there. That's sick. It's demonic. And Satan hates babies, and he hates destinies that are on babies' lives. Amen? And then there was Jesus, <laughs> the, the most important one. And Satan knew that Jesus was the one that he wished he was. And so he wanted to kill him. And so he had Herod go and kill all the sons. I think, again, it may have been ages two and under. I can't remember for sure. But they, they tried to kill all the sons, but God spared Jesus. Hallelujah. But, 
But you, you see how Satan works, that he's trying to destroy lives and he's trying to keep the kingdom from being able to manifest on this earth by the people that God has ordained to bring the kingdom in. And if the devil can't kill us, he'll try to destroy the home. Do everything he can to destroy the home or, or the, the family element of life. All right? And so right now we are in the most fatherless generation that we've ever seen. More families without dads around than ever in history. And that's why we're seeing so much craziness right now because, the, because have you ever heard this said that uh, the, obviously the mother has a hugely important role in the nurturing of the child, but identity comes from the father. And the devil will do anything he can to remove the, the one who's supposed to bring order and the, and, and the groundedness into the lives. He'll, he'll try to, and that's why, you know, the comedy shows make the dads look like butts all the time. Or idiots. Okay? Because he, he, he wants to rob us of our honor for the man. Now, that's not saying that there's not equal honor to the woman. It's different honor, and they're all so important. But he tries to break up the home and, and, and trying to rewire our ideas of what family values look like. And you got crazy stuff going on in the culture right now. Schools trying to get their elementary age kids right there where transgender people are coming and doing whatever they're doing to try to, try to teach them that this is normal. LGBTQ is being pushed. You know, we've been in Pride Month. And, and the enemy is trying to just rewire the foundational convictions and moral values of our people and, and water it down and loosen the edges. And pretty much, if that's good for you, I'm good for you to have that, but let me have what's good for me. And, and, but let me make sure I get to impress my values on anybody who's influenceable that I can get in. And don't stop me. But that's demonic, all right? The Bible references sexual immorality as sin. And that, that goes with normal sexual connection outside of marriage, with man and woman, which is the way God created it. Sex is actually designed by God. Like He only created the good things. And He created sex. And it is good. <laughs> it is good. It's a gift. Like He didn't have to do that. He could have made it where if you just high-five the right way, <laughs> you produce. If He wanted to. He, he, he made it a very pleasurable thing on purpose. He wanted that. And, and He wants it to be a blessing. And it's also for procreation. Doesn't mean that it always has to be that only purpose. But that is obviously part of the way God created it. Was for procreation to be blessed and to multiply and, and fill the earth and subdue it. Amen? And so the Bible 
talks about, about the sexual sins, the, anything outside of the marriage defined as man and woman in covenant with each other, it, within the, the confines of the covenant marriage between a man and a woman, sex is supposed to be an incredible blessing. Anything outside of that structure is sin and called sexually immoral. Hallelujah. This is good. Isn't it crazy that this is such a controversial topic that is actually fundamental? That's because of the day and age we're in. This should not be uncomfortable to talk about these things that are actually just the elementary basics. All right? It should not be uncomfortable. And when the Bible talks about homosexuality, it's sin. Okay? It's sin. It's, it's called sexual perversion. All of that stuff is. And the word perversion, it's not actually necessarily supposed to be a, a, a judgmental slander. That word perversion actually means that something that's right gets twisted around and functions the wrong way. Okay? Warped, twisted, a false version. And, and the enemy is doing everything he can to rewire people's sense of identity and, and people are walking around with false identities. And it's not that God hates any of these people. He loves every single one. Me saying this stuff should not have to equal being judgmental. I'm just trying to tell you value systems. All right? I don't judge people. I love them. If they're, if they're in sin, I still love them. If they're, if they're in bondage, I still love them, but I don't wish that for them because it's bondage. Okay? I would venture to say that probably every sin, is, is when you really boil it down, every sin, there's probably not any that's greater or worse than the, than the next one, right? And I've had plenty of sins in my life. I deserve hell like the next person. I do. I need Jesus to have died on the cross as much as Jeffrey Dahmer did. Okay? You guys hearing me? So we could probably say that, that there's no sin when, when you equal like the evilness of sin. Like maybe, maybe there's not ratings on them, all right? We, we all need Jesus on that cross. But let me say this. To think that all sins are equal, and, and we should, like, if, if you know, somebody white lied, like, okay, we can have a measure of grace. So this person over here has got sexual bondage. Yeah, not a big deal. Well, maybe the sinfulness of it, well, first of all, it is a big deal, and so is the white lie. Because if we don't have Jesus having been crucified, we still get hell for eternity. Okay. I'm just talking some real fundamental truths right now. But, but, the, but there are different measures on sins, not necessarily in the sense of, of unrighteousness, but in the sense of levels of bondage that people get from it. 
All right? There, there, are, there are people who their sins didn't make them any worse than the next person in the eyes of God, but the bondage, the demonic strongholds, and the deep-rootedness of it, there, there's more deliverance that needs to come. And so when people get twisted up in this stuff and they, and they have created their their philosophies that they've embraced that try to justify their sin and say, well, this is who I am. It's not sin. God's pleased with me. He created me this way. Well, that's where, that's where deception has come. And, and your belief systems create strongholds. And strongholds are, are, way, are access points for the demonic to come in to our lives and torment us. So when we talk about these sexual things, like I am not saying these things because I, I hate these people or anything like that. As a matter of fact, it's completely opposite. I have compassion. To know that somebody has demonic strongholds in their life, I don't want that for you. Uh, it, it's, it's hindering you from being able to enter into the abundant life that Jesus paid a high price to get to you. And I want to see people walking in the blessing and in the joy of the Lord and the sins that people embrace are keeping them out of the goodness of God, but He died to give it. He's wanting to give it. Amen? So we just need to understand. And the enemy is doing everything he can to get his attachments on people. And so the more he can get people deceived about what truth is, then the more they're getting out of God's kingdom and into his, his deception. All right? So broken homes. Broken sexuality. Pornography is rampant. And, and that's the work of the devil. When I was younger, it was hard to find that stuff, but if you wanted to, you can find it. Now, any, a kid can find it accidentally, not even know that it even exists, and then get opened up to that just by playing an innocent game. Because the devil has tried to work that stuff so deep into the culture and everything that's in our society right now to make it as prevalent as possible because he wants to get a hold of the hearts of people who are innocent and pull them into demonic bondage that they can't get free from. And then, and then they get addicted to things that uh, the only way I can soothe myself is to find the next measure of something because this one started to get kind of old. Let me find more. And that's, where, that's where, how drugs happen. It, people, they call marijuana the gateway drug, and maybe it's not so big of a deal, but, but yet it usually leads to deeper stuff, and that's how the enemy hooks you. He tries to give you something that doesn't seem quite so bad just to get you kind of loosened up about it until you've got to have the more because that one isn't doing it for you anymore. They go to the next level. That's how pornography is. That's how sexual immorality is. That's how all this stuff works because it's the way that the devil functions. Amen? So we need to understand that this is more than just religious stances. There is eternal values to these things. There's the kingdom of God that has the lavishness of 
all the bounty and goodness of heaven. And then outside of that is the kingdom of darkness. And in that kingdom where all the stuff might look fun, the fun is just traps to lure us in to demonic bondage. And so the, we have to align ourselves with the kingdom values in order to enter in and enjoy the benefits of the kingdom. You can't get it on your terms. It's on His terms. Amen. So Jesus died on the cross from absolute love for all people. If somebody has had 20 abortions and they're going around bragging about it and mocking us Christians, God has passionate love for that person just like He does for you. He, he loves, it doesn't mean He embraces the sins. Of course not. He died to break sin. And He knows that they... they get the same access as you to all the virtues of heaven if they're willing to come into it His way. Amen? He desperately wants that. He wants all people to be saved. So we have to remember, where is the problem? It's, it's not so much the people and their sins. It's, there's, there's the kingdom that's funding that. There's the kingdom that is pushing that stuff, that's creating a massive push to bring strongholds into hearts of people. And it, it has escalated in our nation in the last 50 years like never in history. Because the more foothold he can get, he can build a foundation and a stronghold, and then if people start functioning from it and they come into agreement with it, then, then it gives them more permission to go to the next level, and then the next level, and then the next level. And here we are, where, where we've had 63 million, at least, abortions in 49 years. And, and I heard that California right now is actually trying to legislate that, that, they're give, that they want to allow abortions up until, I forgot how many weeks, maybe two weeks or maybe more, after birth. Physical, breathing babies. 28 days, you, you say? If that doesn't piss you off, there's something wrong. But let me say, pe people think is, you know, once it reaches a certain level, that's horrible. Well, was it not horrible from day one? Absolutely. Ephesians 6.12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So our war is not against politicians. It's not against political parties or lobbyists. It's not against organizations or people groups. That doesn't mean that there might not be places to make a stand in that realm, but that is not where the battle comes from. Okay? Our war is with principalities and powers, and often the people just happen to be the, the, the pawns because they're deceived and, don't, and they don't often know any better. Okay? 
We want to see those people saved and set free. Can I hear an amen on that? Amen. I want to see the people who are functioning from that saved and set free. I don't want to doom them to hell. I want them in heaven. Amen? amen. I want to read to you a, a real story out of Judges that I believe is a prophetic picture of how this stuff functions. We're going to go to Judges chapter 6. I'm going to read about Gideon. The Midianites were were the, uh, an evil um, nation that, that had actually come in and tried to subdue Israel, and, and they, they've been um, plaguing them and just doing all the not good stuff, terrorizing them, right? And so I'm going to read Judges 6, starting with 11. I'm just going to read a, a, quite a few verses in that chapter. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, Winfrey, no, Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Ebbizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Come on. Come on. That's a word for people right now. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Because they're under some serious oppression right now. And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am in the least of my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Hallelujah. When he says as one man, he's actually talking about the armies of Israel coming in unity and fighting as one man under Gideon's leadership. All right? Skip down to verse 22. Now Gideon perceived, oh, b between there, that part, he basically is going to fetch a meal for the angel, and the angel touches it with his staff, and it disappears, just kind of proving to him that this is a word from God, right? So verse 22, now Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Everybody say, Peace be with you. Peace Do, not fear. Do not fear. You shall not die. Shall not die. Amen. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord. Everybody say, He built an altar and called it, The Lord is peace. And that, that's Jehovah Shalom. Come on, Jehovah Shalom. To this day, it is still in Ophrah of the Eberzites. All right, now I want to skip, I'm going to, all right. So in the land where it's God's land, but it's overtaken by the enemy, it's overtaken by the evil people that are being led by demon gods, okay? And God was trying to actually cleanse his entire promised land of all false gods. 
All right, that was, the, that was his command to all the different leaders of the history of Israel was purge the land of false gods. And the reason God hates false gods, one, one of the main reasons is because they're actually demons that he kicked out of heaven because they're impure and evil. The demon spirits that are attached to false gods. So when people worship idols or poles or whatever they do, there's actually demonic principalities that are behind that thing, and they're making covenants with the devil. All right? God wanted to cleanse the land of all the covenants with the devil. And so he, he told, he, sorry, after this encounter... Gideon built an altar to Jehovah God. And he called it Jehovah Shalom. God, the Lord God is my peace. Come on. And he's making a declaration that he's reestablishing the covenant of the Lord for the land that he's in. He's building an altar as a covenant to the Lord. This is your land. Okay? It's like he's saying that all the demonic covenants around here, this is the one, not those. You get the picture? Moving on here. Verse 25. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement. And take the second bowl and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image, which you shall cut down. It was called an Asherah pole. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord said. But because he feared his father's household, he did it in night. And then it goes on. It just talks about how when the people saw that they tore the Asherah pole down, they got angry and they tried to form a mob so they could attack him. But God brought men of God around him so that they could build an army. And God used him, the whole story, he used him to crush the enemy and to clear the land of the Midianites and their false gods. Isn't that awesome? And so God told him to tear down the altar to the false god, to the demon principality, crush it, and then build in the remains of that, another altar. So I think he actually built two altars and worshiped God on it. So he's, what he's doing is he's, he's bringing an end to a demonic covenant so he can reestablish a holy covenant. All right? So what looked like to the world around him, what looked like just a rude thing to do because that was their normal way of life, and that's all they knew. They, they, they had their culture and their normal routines of life built around this thing. And here comes this guy just rudely destroying it. And to them, probably in such arrogance, I'm going to show you what we're really all about. So to the world, it looked like not a nice thing. And it, and it really made them mad. But in the spirit realm, he was breaking a covenant with demons to establish God's covenant promise to his land so blessing could come. Amen? Amen? Do you think Gideon cared about the opinions of the people because they're looking at it in physical terms? Or do you think he cared about the fact that he just encountered God in physical form? He's like, hey, you are more superior than anything that's going on down here on this little earth. 
I want your blessing on this place. I don't care. That, uh, he, had to, he had to work through his heart, but to come to a place where he didn't care about the repercussions earthly realm because he needed to establish and shift things heaven on earth. And so when you, when you push against the devil, push against principalities, do you think he's just like, he's just sitting there like, oh, okay, I'm done. I'm out of here. <laughs> no, it stirs up the hornet's nest. It stirs up the hornet's nest. And so there's pushback. And that's why, that's why the, they got angry and they wanted to attack him and kill him. All right? There's so much prophetic picture of this that's what's going on in the world right now. God raised up other kings and leaders and prophets where, where God had them destroy the Asherah poles and the Baals and the false gods and the, and the temples and, and the altars that they created. And David, you know, he, he talks about um, when, when is, oh, I forgot how he's going to say it. I'm not even going to go there because I'll just stand here and be fumbling using my time on that. But, but he sent Josiah to tear down the high places and all the false stuff. And, and there were times when the pagans got into God's holy temple and reconstructed it to worship false gods right there in God's holy place. But God, when God raised up the reformer and they cleansed and purged the place and they, and they got the house clean again so that God's presence could come back in that place. Come on. Do you think that God in those situations is, is, is functioning from the fear of man that this might hurt somebody's feelings or it might offend someone? God's trying to restore order. They were breaking down places and the actions of man that made covenants with demon principalities so that they could reestablish righteousness so that God's covenant and blessing could come on the people once again. All right? God blesses the places that are submitted to Him. But when people get out of the blessing and the covering of God and the ways that He functions, they enter into the dark kingdom and that's where curses Come. Okay? You guys doing all right? Laws that, that, cre that are created, that are righteous in God's eyes, bring His covenant blessing. It's true. Even if the person isn't a Christian... But they establish laws of the land that God has ordained. It, it, it opens the way for heaven's blessing to come on it. It's true. Laws that are created that are evil make covenants with demons. And it brings curses to the land. There's more at stake here than the opinions of which party you're in. This is, this is heaven and hell. 
When you understand the, the magnitude and the weight, the substance of the kingdom that's behind these things that's going on, you've got to elevate yourself up again above people's feelings and opinions. Because you cannot opinion your way out of God's truth. <laughs> I don't care how brilliant you are, you cannot, you cannot um, convince your way out of God's truth. It either is going to happen or it's not based on which kingdom you're aligned with, all right? So there's the changing of the altars. Gideon built an altar to God and he declared over the land that Jehovah Shalom, releasing the God of peace into the land. Hallelujah. Come on, that's, what, that's God's heart. He wants to bring Shalom to the land. People who hate him have no clue that they're actually jipping themselves out of the greatest blessings they could ever, ever receive. He actually wants to bring blessing to the people. But, but Gideon had to tear down the Asherah, broke agreement with the land of the land with Baal. That's powerful, guys. I hope you guys are doing all right, because I'm not done. Don't, don't, don't leave me yet, okay? Even though the people hated Gideon, he was shifting the nation to become blessable again. So he actually was taking one for the team. People who might hate him for the thing that he's doing because it's audacious and seems rude, but he actually loved the people enough. I want you to be blessed even at the expense of you hating how I'm going to help return this place to the blessable condition it can be in. And when I hear, when I heard Friday about Roe versus Wade being overturned, I, I want to see it from the angle of heaven. Okay? Because like an Asherah pole, like a demonic idol, an altar of a demon god, which is actually a principality over a nation being torn down like Gideon pulling the Asherah pole down. Come on. People think it's politics. God thinks this is, this is kingdoms having dominion. And he's trying to tear down the dominion of a kingdom that most people have no clue about. But God wants the people to become blessable. This would never have happened without the 49, 50 years of the prayers of righteous men and women that have availed much. It's true. And I want you to think about that. Are you serious that the, to see a shift, it took 49 or 50 years worth of intense multitudes of people interceding to see this thing happen? It took that long? Really? Does that not tell you how deeply rooted the principality is behind that thing? But we're believing for many, many more principalities to fall like Dagon in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. Amen? There are principalities that God is trying to pull down and He needs us to be His, His agents. Amen?
The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus came to give life and life more abundantly. Abortion is a massive stronghold that's tied to massive principalities. And guess what? There's another principality, and I I was touching on it a while ago, that, that really is largely behind the abortion issue, and it's the sexual immorality issue. Okay? Because sex is a key issue behind abortion, the problems with it are definitely layered. Behind the abortion, pro- abortion problem, almost always, not every single time, but almost always, is the self-seeking sexual looseness problem. Okay? Let's be real. <laughs> Abortions, almost always, again, not every single time, happen because mom and or dad had sex and didn't want the responsibilities of childbirth or raising the child or they thought that they didn't have what it took. Okay? And there's the slogan, my body, my choice. I want to remind you, I'm not doing this because I care about the politics. I'm, I'm doing this because there's demonic principalities behind stuff and I hate them. And I want to see this stuff fall. And I don't want you guys to see me be a coward, afraid of hurting somebody's opinions or feelings. I love you too much. All right? My body, my choice. It's true. It's your body. Your body, you should be able to choose what you want to do with your body. But when there's a baby in there, it's not your body. It's the baby's. Okay? If you had a body part that you didn't want and you wanted to get it surgically removed, like, I mean, if it's like a growth, like a wart or some funky thing, like, (laughs) please, you go get that removed. If you have a body part that's an organ that God gave you and you kind of need it and you want to get it removed, you can do what you want. I'd recommend you keep it unless it's an appendix. I got that taken out. But when we're talking about babies, babies are not a growth on the body. It's a human life that you are hosting. You're hosting someone else. Babies, its own body. When someone has sex to God, they're making a decision at that point to be responsible with the possibility of another life. Okay? I understand that there's some rare situations where it's life or death. So, you know, hopefully in, in some situations, like bring some help in to help you navigate that or whatever, but, but those are under, under 1%, okay? And, th- and then there's under 1% of rape victims. So like we're talking like 98 or so percent of just decisions, right? If somebody's in a situation where they... Where, where it's one of those out-of-their-hands situations, I want you to know that we believe in miracles and that we would want to partner with you to see a miracle happen so that we can still do everything we can to protect life. Amen? How are you guys? Okay. God still has a hope-filled solution for you in any situation you could find yourself in. Amen? Now, when I say you, I don't think that's somebody in this room 
This is on camera, and I hope somebody's going to hear some truth in this. It'll save a life. The baby was fashioned by God, and their days have been written by God. And we want to do everything we can to protect that child and their destiny. Amen? If you want to have sex, you need to understand the risks and be willing to take the responsibility. Otherwise, you are not mature enough for such a beautiful gift. Not being responsible of sex is actually abusing a gift. Sex is a blessed gift designed by God for the covenant of marriage between man and woman. I already, already talked about that. By the way, dads should be just as responsible as moms. Okay? You guys all right? <laughs> all right. We've got to turn the tables, though. Got to turn the tables because if you only heard what I said up till now, it's going to feel very the other person focused and what they did wrong focused. But I, I need to remind us once again that Jesus loves us all, right? And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how he demonstrated his love to us. Okay, so we all have been, in, have been sinners. I want to turn the table because a huge part of the abortion problem is not just the sin of the person because they often don't even know any better. Jesus had compassion on sinners even while they were in their sin. He did. He loved the adulterous woman right there in front of everybody else. Amen? Jesus is full of radical grace and mercy. Whether it be someone who had an abortion or is considering one or anybody who's in sexual sin, as I said, he has radical grace and mercy. It's not a heart to judge. It's a heart to bring freedom and wholeness to people. A big part of the problem, not just focusing on the sin of the person, is the church. Big part of the problem is the church. The world's view of the church, the place where they should be able to seek answers, that they think that the church is just a bunch of Christian bigots who hate sinners. The church needs to do better training people how to live the way that God planned. Not, not how to live legalistic lives, but how to become healthy families. That's our responsibility. Church needs to be a safe place for broken people to come. The church needs to learn how to love people unconditionally and to help them out in practical ways. Oh man, that's where, that's where sacrifice comes in. The church needs to be able to disciple undiscipled people into wholeness. To become spiritual fathers and mothers to orphans of society. I'm talking about fathering and mothering the broken people who have no clue how to father and mother their own children when they find themselves in a hard situation. 
guess what? If we only celebrate a win on making abortions not legal, wherever it ends up, and we celebrate what we accomplished, and if that's all we do, we're leaving a bunch of people out there clueless and hopeless. All right? We cannot ignore what is underneath much of the pro-choice concern, by the way. A lot of it's not good, but, but I can tell you that there is some good reasons behind some of that, and a lot of it has to do with people who are in hard situations and they don't have a way or know how to manage their lives and successfully raise the child. So is killing the baby a good solution? No. But is there still a problem that's yet to be solved? Yes. Taking the rights away of abortion does not get that person and their family out of their crisis that they're in. Okay? So, so we, need to, we need to figure our way out on this stuff. I hear of a lot of people who are in fear because they don't know how people are going to navigate hard situations. But the church needs to figure out how to become problem solvers. Problem solvers. Not just fixing problems, or not just taking away problems, but solving problems. Amen? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how we're going to do it as, the, as a church here. I, I, I know that um, there are different churches that have different levels of capacity, more people that can help in certain ways, and, and they have programs and all this kind of stuff. And here we are, still a young church plant with lots of vision and lots of great things we want to do, and we've got to do things in the season we're in. So we're kind of navigating the tension. I don't know what we're going to do, but I can tell you this, that we need to start thinking about how we can become a part of the solution for other people. We're not going to be able to figure out all of world's problems and solve it just in this little congregation. But how, how can we make those moms feel loved and valued and supported? I, I want to, you know, we're praying about revival. We're praying about the harvest of souls and all that stuff. And, and that's going to be amazing. But when the rubber hits the road, you're going to find out what kind of baggage people are bringing in. And are we going to do well loving those people right where they're at? And are we just going to love them with a pat and a, and a seat? Or are we going to get in their lives and make them feel valued and loved and that, you, that the spillover of your life can pour into them and that they can become part of the family? Because there's going to be some real practical application that's probably going to come and hit the fan at some point. Are we going to be ready for it? I don't know. I hope so. I want us to be. In the very least, I can tell you this, that, that, we're, that Jessica started looking into um, some, some local agencies around here that are trying to help mothers uh, who, who need to make those decisions. And, and what, we're going to try to find out a way that we can start sending some measure of financial support to people who are trying to help that kind of stuff. Come on. That's, that's just a baby step, but we're, we're starting to look because I don't want to just applause Roe versus Wade overturned and, and then just move on and forget the fact that God actually put the church here in the world to become a family for orphans to come into. 
Some of you guys are going to have solutions. Some of them may apply in a corporate setting, and some of them might be on your own. I don't know, but we're going to find our way into this. We just need to know that God has kind of made us responsible at some level, and we've got to figure out what that means. Amen? You guys all right? <laughs> Hallelujah. There are so many things to say. Thank you. Jesus said, and this may have different connotations, but I think on a whole different level right now, we've got to think of this. Father will be divided against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Micah 7, 6 says the son dis dishonors father, daughter rises against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Man's enemies are the men of his own household. And the enemy is trying to destroy homes, and abortion is one, mag ma like I want to say magnificent, but that sounds too positive. It's a humongous manifestation of this. But in the very last chapter of the Old Testament, Malachi 4, 5, and 6, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers, or some versions say the parents, to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. I just, I just want to partner with that prophetic word that in this age that we're in now, God is about to release this anointing of Elijah into the church to where the hearts of fathers are going to be restored to their children, mothers to the children. And it happens in the home, but it happens in the church that we're going to have people wanting to bring people into our hearts and pour love into them and to create the filling of love in their hearts that fills the void that made them orphans. And, the, and when this happens, the, the, it actually says that if this doesn't happen, a curse has to come. I want to say that there's a lot of curse in our land. I'm not saying God sent it, but the results of orphans and, and fatherlessness and brokenness, that curse is the result of it, and God wants to heal that. He wants to heal our land and take that stuff away. Can I hear an amen? amen. All right, I've got to bring this to, to the final place here. Bellies are starting to growl. <laughs> Laura Rippey, who's in with the children right now, um, let us know a cool thing that happened. The other, I think it was on Friday, she was at a gas station, and somehow she got in a conversation with a guy there who was celebrating the, the overturning of Roe versus Wade, and he told her that, um, that his wife, let me see if it was his wife, or, it was his girlfriend at the time, years, years ago, um, had, a, had a few abortions. And he, he's thrilled about this thing because he said, he told me, she said he told me of the utter turmoil of his girlfriend that she went through, physical, emotional, mental pain, and regret, and how it was him pushing it. So he was the one who actually convinced her to do it. Wow. But he has since turned to the Lord, hallelujah, 
repented and champions babies and families, the Constitution in America. He said the thing that tore him up the most was watching what his girlfriend went through and the level of regret. He even said that he went to Planned Parenthood. Now he recognizes that Planned Parenthood is an organization full of lies and deceit. Whoa. He said, I've asked God to forgive me over and over. And Laura looked at him and said, he forgave you. You are forgiven. Hallelujah. Abortion is not the unpardonable sin. God's, God's healing people who have done that. We're going to have people in our church. There may be people in here now who's had an abortion. If you've asked God to forgive you, he, he, that song says he rewrites your history. Come on. The blood of Jesus. <laughs> come on. We're going to have people come into our church who have been through the worst things you could ever imagine. Jesus wants to restore them and make them whole and rewrite their histories. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And give them the blessing of heaven. We need to close with some prayer, though. I'm going a little longer than I hoped to. We need to have compassion for people. There, there are people, <clears throat> probably, there's, there's multitudes of people who are very angry about Friday. We're happy. They're not. They're, they're mad. Some of them are scared. They're hurt. They're, they feel betrayed or whatever. Like we can, we can be self-righteous and toot a horn, or we can care about hearts that are in turmoil. Even though the issue we do not agree with, we need to love them, love their hearts. Amen? Compassion. Compassion is able to look past the issue and see the heart and care for it. All right? And, and, and again, compassion for people who are in a situation where abortion seemed like a, 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 a good way out of a hard time. Compassion to try to care for them and see if there's ways that the kingdom of God can help that person. Right now we need to pray, though. We need to pray. And I'm going to ask you guys to give me a few minutes here before we dismiss. It's 12.08 right now. All right, I'm going to ask you just for a few minutes. I want you to put the slides up there. We're going to go into some prayer before we close. And just keep it right there. I don't know if it's on a timer or not, but if it is, you might need to stop that. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And Nehemiah and Daniel both taught us a way to intercede for the nation that you're in that's in sin, that has really committed vile acts against God. They actually prayed and said, God, forgive us. They put themselves into it and said, forgive us. 
Even though they didn't have the sin in their hearts, they were representing their nation, and they were standing in the gap for the people that will probably never know how to repent. And they said, God, forgive us for, for the sins of our nation, and we need to pray that the Lord will forgive the sins of our nation. And so we need to pray for repentance to come to our land across the nation. We need to pray if we have our own need to repent, to repent. Okay, if you got sins, repent of them because I want you to be blessable. Pray for a spirit of peace to be released in the land to calm hatred and divisiveness. Remember, he established that altar, Jehovah Shalom. So we want to release the peace of God into the land where there's spiritual warfare and people rising up and, and doing some evil things right now in retribution. Pray for our leaders' eyes to be opened to truth. I want to remind us, we're not praying for curses and destruction upon congressmen or presidents or any, anybody, any person. We want to see that happen on the principalities, all right? But we want their eyes to be open. Pray for the peoples of the land's eyes to be open to truth. Pray for fathers and mothers' hearts to turn to their children, the born and the unborn. We need to pray for protection for the Supreme Court uh, justices and their families because one of their lives actually was threatened to be killed. I don't know if you guys heard that. <clears throat> and, and people have been rallying outside of their houses and stuff. And, and pray for, go back real quick, sorry. Pray, pray for anyone who's in harm's way by the opposers. And I, I, you guys probably also heard that, I think it was the Senate of Arizona somewhere, one of those build buildings over there, um, the mob actually kind of put them in a hostage situation. I don't know, probably not still that way, I'm not sure, but I mean, can you imagine how, how scary that is? So like we've seen what, what the rioters do in our nation in the last couple of years. We just need to pray that God will cut that off because that stuff's driven by demons too. Pray for the healing of our land. Pray for any curse to be lifted. Pray for revival and harvest of souls. Pray for a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 